Okay, so at this time, we are blessed to have our second message for the day, brought to us by Pastor Steve Andrews, entitled Solomon's Folly. much time as I have uh, material to give you, but uh, we'll make do here. Hope you're all enjoying the dog days of summer. <laughs> I'm looking forward to tomorrow's little bit of a uh, thing before we get into the rest of the dog days of summer. I was, I've been contemplating this message for quite a while. I've been thinking about it, um, mainly because of the, some of the things that's going on in our own society today, we are, especially in my own life, I remember sitting through sermons of, of the accolades of Solomon's wisdom and um, going through Proverbs, going through the, the book of Ecclesiastes, trying to understand the Song of Solomon <laughs> to the best of my ability, and just the blessings that you know, were there that um, he, he gave us uh, down through the ages. And, but I realized as I was searching out and thinking about this message, I realized that Solomon also was the catalyst that caused a nation to split and to literally uh, implode upon itself, to say the least. And eventually, the nation of Israel went into captivity. And that was the northern tribes, and then the southern tribe went into captivity later. And we understand that from history. And I call this Solomon's folly because even though he was wise in a lot of ways, he also created a lot of folly through the things that he um, did in his, uh, during his reign. The word folly, you know, I want to put Brian to put it up there, and I'm going to have to read, turn around and read it because I forgot to bring it up here with me. Lack of good sense or, or normal prudence and foresight. Now, as we go through this and, I'm, and bring out some of these things today, I think you'll see how this fits Solomon's um, thinking, his, his life, and the things that he did, and the reign that he had during the time that he was reigning over Israel, and the combined Israel. Number two, criminally or tragically foolish actions or conduct, um, and some obsolete um, definitions of this, especially lewd behavior, Number three, a foolish act or idea. Number four, an excessively costly or unprofitable undertaking. Boy, we could definitely put that one on to Solomon. And an often extravagant, picturesque building erected to suit a fanciful taste. I got that right out of uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, so I didn't make those up. They were uh, modern definition of the word folly. In Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, 
Moses was given what I call the way of kings. And I've read it many times before, but it's very interesting how this was already in all of the king's um, possession. And that this is what they were taught to do with their life. He says, when you come into the land, which in verse 14, beginning in verse 14, and I'm just going to read just a few verses here, which the Lord your God gives you, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are about me. You shall in any wise set him king over you, whom the Lord your God shall choose. One from among your brethren shall you set king over you. You may not set a stranger over you, which is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord has said to you, you shall hereafter, um, you shall hereafter return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom, and he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, out of which is before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn the fear of the Lord, uh, Lord God to keep all the words of this law and the statutes to do them. This was written a long time before the first king ever came in um, to be called a king over Israel. And that would have been Saul, which the first king, and we know what happened to him. But there was another prophecy, a very interesting one, given to Samuel. Because Samuel was grieved. He was, he was really upset. And he was upset because the nation had rejected him. And well, he thought the nation had rejected him. And God said differently, you know, they've rejected me, that I not rule over them. So in 1 Samuel, let's go there and let's read this prophecy. In 1 Samuel... It is the 8th chapter, and beginning in verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not rule reign over them. According to all the works what they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also to you. Now therefore, hearken to their voice, however, yet protest solemnly to them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told the words of the Lord to the, king, to the people that ask of him a king. This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots, and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and he will set them to ear, 
his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of, for, of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive uh, yards and even the best of them and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give it to his officers, to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. And you shall cry out in that day because of your king, which shall have chosen you and you and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they say, nay, but we will have a king over us. So always God lays the, the groundwork. <laughs> he knows what the situation is going to be. I found one of the reasons why I, I, I was very fascinated with this is I found a book called The Greatness of the Kingdom and um, by McLean, I'll write his first name too. This book was written actually in 1959. Long time ago, um, if I can get to the front of the book, and the guy's name is Alva J. McLean. Uh, he has a lot of T H M D D and L L D, but I don't have any idea what all that is all about. But he was a president of Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana, and I don't know whether he's still living or not. But he has a lot of very interesting introductions to especially the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, and all of the things that were, were going on. And uh, he writes this at the end of this, what I just read. The remarkable passage deserves to be studied, not only by theologians and preachers, but also by political scientists and e economists. It shows that the needs and problems of human government do not change much from generation to generation. The student will find here not only an accurate prediction of the trends of government in the historical kingdom of Israel, but also many items which are currently trying the souls throughout a thoughtful man in the field of government. Remember, this was written in 1959. How much more <laughs> pertinent is it today? Actually, there is not much difference between the various types of political government as regards uh, their avowed uh, purposes and general tendencies. For all alike, start out with the best of profound intentions to give the <clears throat> government something better than they have had. <clears throat> In the days of Samuel, Israel had wanted a king to judge them and lead them in their, in their battles. We have here a recognition of the two problems of order and power, the one internal and the other external. These two have been called the original and the fundamental values of government. It is an axiom of history that no government has ever succeeded, even temporarily, without offering to the people those two values. No dictator or tyrant ever ruled who did not, to some extent, provide for order within the state and protection against the external enemies. This, then, is the fundamental good supplied by the all government in some measure, regardless of the character of the motives. The real difference between the various kinds of government is found in the, in the price people have had to pay 
for those benefits of internal order and external safety. And the stability of the government will vary according to the cost of being governed. This is why a dictatorship in the long run is the most unstable of all governments because it greatly overestimates the price men are willing to pay for its benefits. And he goes on, and I'm not, I don't have time to read it all, but he goes through each one of those uh, points and, and, and points out exactly how they fit into to that government back then, but also how they fit into the, the current government. What I really want to do is I want to jump in to the first kings and Solomon. First Kings, the sixth chapter, is the temple being built. And Solomon put some of the very best of, of all. <laughs> it was a beautiful place. Uh, and you read through it and you'll, you, you realize uh, that he, he put a lot of beautiful things in it, a lot of wonderful things. He used a lot of gold and all of the stuff and made a beautiful place uh, for God to reside. Because, remember, God rejected David because he was a bloody man. But David had gotten all of the parts, all of the things together, and Solomon was the one that actually built it. Now, <laughs> and, and I've heard this many times, and so it's nothing new, and it probably is nothing new to you. In chapter 7, he builds his own palace, and it is more resplendent than even God's house. Uh, he puts, he's got a... a an ivory throne. He makes all kinds of uh, gold. It says just everywhere, and just uh, it's it's just amazing how much um, wealth Solomon is given. Remember, God said, "I'm going to give you wisdom," and along with that wisdom, He said, "I will give you the power and the wealth." Well, sometimes that's good, and in the, Solomon's case. Um, he did some good, but also the folly followed, and at the end was not good. In the eighth chapter, I'm going to read this because, and I, I want us to understand uh, first, uh, first Kings. I'm sorry, First Kings six, First Kings seven, now First Kings eight. This is the dedication. And I want to—I didn't give it to, to to Brian, but I want to—I want to do the first eleven verses because this sets the stage. It's so beautiful. The, the Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast of the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. So this would be the, the <clears throat> Feast of Tabernacles. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priest took up the ark. And they brought up the ark out of the Lord and the, into the tabernacle of the congregation, all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those that did the priests and the Levites bring up. And, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled to him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told, nor numbered for the multitude. And the priests brought the ark of the covenant 
of the Lord to the place of the uh, into the uh, oracle of the house and in the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread forth their two wings over the, the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out of the holy place before the oracle, that they were not outside, and there, there they uh, are this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tablets of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, when uh, the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. You know, it would have been a, a tremendous thing to have been there and been in that audience and all of a sudden that, you know, the presence of God began to, to fill that, that house. So that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spoke Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in a thick darkness. And I have surely built you a house to dwell in, a settled place for you to abide in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel and all the congregation of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spoke <clears throat> with his mouth to David, my father, and as with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be therein, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord of God, Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house to my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son that shall come forth out of your loins, he shall build the house to my name. And the Lord has performed his word that he spoke, and I am risen up in the room of David my father and sit in the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built a house for the name of the Lord God Israel. And I have set there a place for the ark therein is the covenant of the Lord which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands to heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or in earth beneath who keeps covenant and mercy with your servants that walk before you and you with all your heart, their heart who have kept with your servant David, my father, that you promised him. You spoke also with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is in this day. Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, Keep with your servant David, my father, that you promised him, saying, There shall not fail you a man in my sight to sit in the throne of Israel, so that your children take heed to their way, and that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now, O God of Israel, your word, I pray you, be verified which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? And behold, the heaven and the heavens of heaven cannot contain you. 
How much less this house that I have built? Yet have you respect to the prayer of your servant, to supplications, O Lord my God, to hearken to cry to the prayer which my servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may hearken to the prayer which your servant shall make towards this place, and hearken you to the supplication of your servant and to your people Israel when they shall, shall pray to you towards this place and hear you in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear and forgive. That is a powerful, powerful prayer by Solomon. I mean, the words that he just poured out of him as God was blessing him with this, this unbelievable um, event that was to happen right here in Jerusalem as he, as that um, Shekinah glory came into there. And he, he continues, if any man trespass against his neighbor and an oath he has laid upon him to cause him to swear that oath come before your altar in this house, then hear you in heaven and do and judge your servants condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head and to justify the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. And when your people Israel be smitten down before the enemy because they have sinned against you and uh, shall uh, turn again to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in his house, then hear you in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again into the land that you've given them. Now, I still have a lot of reading to do, so I want to, I want to skip a little bit of this, but I want you to be able to read the rest of that and think about what Solomon was doing in that, in that time. I want to skip over here to um, Brian. verse 54 and then you can you can read all of this prayer that he did in verse 54 and it and it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord he rose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread to heaven so here we have an example of, of, of prayer Solomon was on his knees before all of the congregation of Israel with his hands raised to heaven and praying this prayer and he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a, with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord that has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he has promised by the hand of Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he is, was with his, our fathers. Let him be, not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline his heart to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And let these, my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God uh, day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, and at all times the matter uh, shall require, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. 
Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord your God, our God and walk in his statutes and keep his commandments. I want you to hear these words that Solomon literally said and realize what he did. And the king of Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord and Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings which he offered to the Lord two and twenty thousand oxen and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king of all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day did the king hollow the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt, off, uh, burnt offerings and meat offerings and fat of the peace offerings because, of the, before the, because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little to receive the burned offerings and the meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. And at that time Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great congregation from the entering of Hama to the river uh, of, of Egypt before the Lord our God. Seven days and seven days, even 14 days. On the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went their tents, went to their tents joyful and glad of heart with the goodness that the Lord had done for David his servant and for Israel his people. It was a rejoicing. It was a wonderful thing. It was a beautiful um, service that Solomon put on and praised the Lord. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all of Solomon's desire, which he had pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me, and I've hallowed this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if you, now I call this, <laughs> I call this the if clause. Because every agreement that God makes, especially with these kings, has an if clause in it. And it's interesting, this if clause was quite profound. He says, and if you will walk before me as David your father walked in integrity of heart and upright, uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David your father, saying, There shall not fail you a man upon the throne of Israel. But if you shall at all turn from following me, you or your children will, um, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb by the, <clears throat> by the word among all people. This is God talking to Solomon, guys. <laughs> this is his powerful message that God gives to Solomon. And in this house, which is high, um, which is high, everyone that passes by shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why has the Lord done this to this land 
and to this house. And they shall answer because they have forsook the Lord their God who brought them forth out of the, um, forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have taken hold upon other gods and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore has the Lord brought them um, brought upon them all this evil. What we find next is Solomon's, Solomon's act. Beginning in verse 10 here. And it came to pass at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and king's house. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, had furnished Solomon's with cedar trees and fir trees, with gold according to all desire. That then king, of Solomon, then king Solomon gave him Hiram 20 cities in the, the, uh, in the land of Galilee. And Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they, they pleased him not. And he says, What cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of um, Kabul to this day, binding, the, the land of binding. And Hiram sent uh, to the king six score talents of gold. And this is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised for the build of the house of the Lord in his own house, and Milo, the, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and, and, and burned it with fire and slain uh, the Canaanites that dwelled in the city and given it uh, for a present to his daughter, Solomon's wife. Solomon's wife was an Egyptian. Reggie's already talked about what Egyptians believed. So here we go. Solomon marries an Egyptian princess. Solomon built Gezer and Bethoron, uh, the nether or the lower, and Baalath, Tadmor, in the wilderness of the land, and all the cities of uh, a store that Solomon had, and the cities of, for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, that which Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and in the Lebanon and all the land of his dominion. And all the people that were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which were not of the children of Israel, their children that were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel also were not able to utterly to destroy upon the, those that did Solomon levy a tribute of bond service to this day. But the children of Israel did Solomon make no bondmen. But they were men of war, and his servants, and his princes, and his captains, and his rulers, and his chariots, and his horsemen. And we see the prophecy being fulfilled. These are the chief of the officers that were over Solomon's work, 550, which bore rule over the people that wrought the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up out of the city of David into her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then, then did he build Milo. And three times in the year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar, and he built uh, the Lord. And he burned incense upon the altar uh, before the Lord. And King Solomon made a, a navy of ships in Ezangibur, um, which is beside Eloth, in the shore of the Red Sea of the land of Edom. And Hiram sent the, um, in the navy of his servants, shipmen that had knowledge of the sea, with the servants of Solomon. And they came 
to Ophir and brought from them gold, 400, uh, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. I want to go... Um, I want to go to chapter 10, and I want to pick it up in verse 14. Now, the, word, the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600, three score, and six talents of gold. That's 666, by the way, <laughs> for anybody that's interested. Besides that, he had the merchantmen. Uh, and of the traffic of the spice merchants and of the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold, um, essentially shields. 600 shekels of gold went into one target. <laughs> Whoa. I don't know what that would be in today's... I mean, the, you're talking trillions of dollars in today's money. At least, uh, it was gold was everywhere, and he made three hundred shields of beaten gold. Three pound of gold went into one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with uh, the best gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind, and and there were stays on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the stays. The twelve and twelve lions stood there on the other side, on the other uh, upon the six steps um, that were like made in any kingdom, that were not like made in any kingdom. Not they weren't equal to anything that that was anywhere around. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were made of gold. <laughs> Pure gold. If you want to go to Solomon, you want to drink, he brings out this cup, and it's pure gold for you to drink out of. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted in those days of Solomon, for the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram, once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded in all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold, garments and armor, spices, horses, mules, a rate year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. And he had a thousand and four hundred chariots, three thousand horsemen, whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots with the king of Jerusalem at Jerusalem. By the way, he was at peace, but he was building a standing army, a very large standing army that was to his, you know, for his service. Because God had given them peace in the, in the land. The king made silver to be like, to be in Jerusalem as stones. And cedars made the, to, to be as sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yard 
The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for a 150. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria, did they bring them out by their means. Now here's the folly. Well, there's part of the folly right there. The standing army, um, all of the gold, all of the wealth, all of that he had. And we still had the wisdom. He was still using that to govern his people. And then all of a sudden, at his older age, he truly, truly went into to a situation in which God was not pleased because he truly went for the, and began to, to, to listen to his wives. And he had a lot of them. <laughs> so this is Solomon's folly that broke, literally God had to break Israel because of the sin of Solomon. King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. And we know the Egyptians had many gods. And none of them were the true God. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, all were not to be married and be a part of the kingdom of Israel. And Solomon broke that. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said, the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he has 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Milcan, the abomination of the Amorites. Um, my book has the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and a hill in the hill that was before Jerusalem. And for Moab, the abomination of the children of uh, uh, Molech, uh, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And by the way, we're still sacrificing. Thankfully, some things are changing. Um, we still have the east and west coast, that, you know, and, and some states that are still going to provide a, abortion. But at least it's, it's a start. But here we had in Israel, Solomon actually built <laughs> a place where they could bring children to be sacrificed because that's exactly what the worship of Moloch was all about. It was all a part of confusion that Solomon brought into Israel. And likewise did he, uh, for, he for all the strange wives which burned incense and sacrificed to their gods, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared to him twice. And it commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. 
but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And of course, since I don't have much left, time left, you understand that because of that, God rent the kingdom. Not during his time, he would go to his grave, but his son and the servant, and the kingdom would be rent, and, and the hist it's just history. But Solomon's folly was actually what started all of this. And you could see all of the different things that that, that, that had to do. And he, he pretty much violated every one of those in his lifetime. God was merciful. You know, I've overlooked a lot of it. But when he went this way, when he brought this into it, the idolatry and the idol worship that these women wanted to, to bring into, that is when God said, Enough is enough. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I have two scriptures here I want to finish up with. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Modern look. Oop, that's not 1 John. Wrong. Love not the world neither things that are in the world. If any, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. It's important to understand that no matter what the situation in our own government, as long as we are faithful to God, he will bring us through, and he'll bring us into a day in which we will be a part of some of the most glorious things. You know, the Bible is set for us as an example. All of the things that are in the Bible help us to understand the world that we live in, the society that we live in, the things that are going on in the society that we live in, and they're also preparing us for the kingdom of God. I don't know if you understand that, but when people are resurrected and we're there out trying to help them, we will have the wisdom beyond Solomon to help people through certain situations. And that day will come, and it is look, I look forward to it very much. I look forward to the theocratic kingdom that will come on the earth. It's, it's outlined in Isaiah, the second chapter, and then also uh, one other place in the scriptures. It shall come to pass in that day, in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. The great kingdom will be over all other kingdoms and there will be kingdoms on the earth. And God is going to preserve some kingdoms and we understand that. And so he is going to have um, bring his kingdom and we will be a part of it. Many people should go and say, come you and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know, just like th that beautiful place that was created, that's going to be again. That's where all of that is going to be, and we'll be there someday, being able to, to bring the truth to all that come, and maybe go around the world, wherever we need to go, to help others to understand God's word. He shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not 
uh, shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come you, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I would say, O house of America, come, let us understand and walk in the ways of the Lord.